and welcome to On Opinion, the Palia podcast. I'm Turi Bunte. We live in opinionated times. Culture wars, identity politics, polarization. Everyone has an opinion. But do we know where our opinions come from? Do we know why we think what we think? In each episode, I'll talk to experts across all disciplines to help us understand the nature of opinion, how we form ideas, why we argue, and what that means for society. Today, we're absolutely thrilled to be talking to Ian Leslie. Ian is a writer, journalist on psychology, culture, and technology, and he's the author of three acclaimed books on human behavior, Born Liars, about why we lie, Curious, about the value of curiosity, and Conflicted, one of the the clearest and most insightful books I've read on the value of disagreement, and also how to do it. Polarization is at the very heart of what we've covered on the On Opinion podcast. Ian has all sorts of fascinating insights as to how best to use it to our advantages. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Ian, I think I'd like to kick off with what I think is the key strongest insight of um, of your book, which is that some types of conflict, not all of them, but some types of conflict are in fact extremely beneficial, both to us as individuals and to us as societies. It seems sort of counterintuitive. Can you give us a, a, a view as to why? Yeah, and it, it was counter to my intuition at the beginning of this project. You know, I, I thought I was going to be writing a book uh, about how to avoid toxic conflict, which which really kind of merges into, you know, how do you avoid conflict? Um, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that whilst toxic argument and toxic conflict is a problem uh, in our society, it's actually a kind of, it's a minor problem compared to the avoidance of conflict, which, which of course it's related to, you know, if we think of conflict as this thing that inevitably goes bad, uh, and we have lots of evidence for that all around us on social media, TV and, and, and elsewhere, then we're even more likely to avoid this thing, which we already find quite stressful and, and uncomfortable of open disagreement uh, and, and, and uh, an argument. Um, and yeah, I came to think of the, the, the avoidance of it is actually the, the real problem here, because when you avoid conflict, you tend to all sorts of things go wrong. Your, your, your relationships actually tend counterintuitively, as you say, tend to uh, corrode um, uh, and weaken over time. You're, you, you become as, as groups, we become less good at taking decisions um and 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 uh, getting to to insight into truth and we also just become less less creative less innovative um so yeah in the in the, in the first part of the book i really kind of make the case for good constructive conflict and and, and I, I i look at you know I, I talk about why it's good for relationships why it's good for our thinking um and why it's good for our creativity so here in the in the midst of um 
a kind of wall-to-wall coverage of polarization and the fracturing of polities between left and right and you know kind of the sectarianization of America the what the the, the deep deep cracks that for example Brexit or even lockdown has sort of uh, wrought across the UK social landscape you're there saying the problem is not that we have too much conflict is that we're actually avoiding the right kind of conflict is is that right yeah and 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 a lot of the things that we we worry about quite rightly when it comes to polarization or you know in inverted commas cancel culture so on they're, they're they're best seen as ways to avoid conflict rather than just conflict you know so it's, it's not that conflict is bad it's that we've we, we've sort of come up with these ways of basically shutting it down and uh you know a, a shooting match is sort of trench warfare that that's not that's not actually that's not engaging in in argument and disagreement which is what we need to do so the alternative to to, to polarization is not everybody getting along and everybody agreeing with each other that's not going to work either you know first of all it's unrealistic um but also it means you miss out on on the immense benefits of of disagreement and and argument so there's a there's a piece in your book where you i think many of us have a view on the totalitarianism of some elements of cancel culture um and no question that's about shutting down conversation but you also talk about sort of the performative elements of conflict or disagreement on social media in this really in again a counterintuitive way you say that the, the kind of fights that you see taking place on twitter they're not really fights they're actually more if it's fight versus flight they're much more a flight mechanism they're sort of a, a refuge into sort of a tr- tribal protectiveness what is it there's there's something strange going on here that you point to which i think feels very right yeah that that they're more about refusing to engage with my opponent's arguments, because to do so would 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 acknowledge the possibility, even if it's a one percent possibility, that I'm wrong in some way, or that, or that my point of view might need modifying. Um, if if you can characterize your opponent as illegitimate and poisonous, then you don't have to to think about that, and and you can condemn them publicly in a way that wins you the approbation and, and approval of those who already agree with you agree with you so all this supposed toxic conflict that we see on 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 twitter is a sort of ersatz conflict it's fake it's not real um it's it's really about people turning to their own side and and saying we're right on this aren't we and that that intuitively intuitively feels right to me because there is one can't help but feel the sort of cowardice implicit in this kind of aggressive group mob behavior that you find on social media there is something cowardly about it i love the this description of yours as sort of it's it's flight rather than fight it's not real conflict and to do that therefore to make that link you're describing conflict as something quite specific which i suppose is a form of engagement a form of a form of discipline around disagreement so i range across a few different types of of conflict and and argument but um, I, I think one one way of of defining it in terms of you know engaged argument or engaged conflict is is what I was just talking about, which is an argument where at least a little bit of me is willing to to change position, <laughs> you know, to acknowledge the possibility 
even if I think it's a very slight one or a big one, you know, whatever it is, the possibility that I might be uh, a little bit wrong about this. Um, that is when you that's that's when you I think you, you, you could justify the term an engaged uh, uh, conflict and, and, and proper argument. Um, if you're not if you don't have any of that, then really it's just it's just performative, you know, and it, it's just about being seen to win an argument. And we put such a great emphasis, you know, culturally speaking, and this predates social media, but it's been sort of enhanced and accelerated by it. We put this huge emphasis on being seen to win an, an argument. And, and, and all our terms for argument, you know, debate, um, uh, an argument itself come tinged with this flavor of, of combat uh, in which it's this is a zero-sum game in which, you know, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. That's, that's what a debate club is. That's what a debating competition is. That's what, you know, when we stage a debate at the Oxford Union, whatever it is, and the people vote at the end. It's like, who won, who lost? I mean, that's fine. It could be entertaining. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but but don't mistake it for a minute with with the kind of debate and argument that's going to lead to new insights and and and, and interesting changes of perspective. What I'd, I'd I'd love to, with your help, go through some of the areas in which you've shown how valuable conflict actually is. I'm I want to start with children and their parents and couples. Can you can you go through some of the research which shows how valuable conflict is? That I, th I think you show that um, parents and children who argue are often considerably better adjusted than those who don't. Yes. Um, so there, there, there is some evidence that, that uh, as you say, that the parents, the families where the children argue, argue with their parents, where there is, and this is important, an important condition, where there is a, a strong bond of, of love and, and trust within, within the family, which isn't true of all families, unfortunately. Where, where that where that is the case, then argument is actually, you know, leads to children being happier and and and, and doing better at school. And uh, there's a there's a greater body of of, of evidence uh, making the same, you know, in the same direction um, for couples. It, it, it's actually the field of relationship studies is really, really interesting. Um, and in in that field, they, they used to think they used to think that um, the kind of conventional wisdom was that couples who want to have uh, a healthy, satisfying, and and happy relationship um, are, are the ones who just basically avoid all kinds of heated conflict and 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 any kind of anger, any kind of blaming behavior, um, and really um, just either just get along and, and agree on everything or. When they do have difference of uh, differences of opinion, just talk them through very kind of calmly and clearly, you know, talking it out. And that's still the kind of the conventional wisdom. In you talk to to you know you read uh, agony aunts or um, you know relationship experts in inverted commas. But actually, there is a big and, and growing body of evidence that the couples that uh, are quite quick and ready to get into argument and including heated, quite emotional argument, are the ones who are more likely to stay together um, and the ones who are more likely to be satisfied in the relationship and the ones who are more likely to solve problems in their relationship. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I just thought that was, that was a, you know, really fascinating and suggestive 
line of research, which which shows that actually conflict, including emotional, uh, quite sort of um, uh, heated argument, is actually uh, over the long term is strengthens relationships rather than weakens them. And that's the case also with work cultures, isn't it? You have a wonderful example of the most successful American airline. Could you walk us through it? Oh, yeah. So Southwest Airlines, which is uh, basically the most successful airline ever because it's it's been profitable um, throughout its whatever it is, I can't remember, 30 a year um, existence. And, and it's been much less subject to the kind of swings of, in, in fortune than, than other airlines. And a big reason that it's been so uh, successful is that they are uh, they're very good at turning around planes on the ground. You know, so if a plane lands, they're able to get it into shape to make another flight very quickly. Um, basically, if you're in the airline industry, if your if your plane is on the ground, it's not making any any money. Um, so the more you can get that plane into the air with with passengers on it, uh, the quicker you do that, the, the more money you make. Um, and the reason it's one of the reasons it's hard to 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 do it quickly is that it requires a lot of coordination amongst different parts of the uh, different staff in, in the airline, right? So, so, so the cabin crew and the, and, and the baggage staff and, um, and the pilots. And in, in, it turns out that in most airlines, um, certainly this is true when this study was carried out sort of 10, 15 years ago, um, they all hate each other. <laughs> you know, there's a huge amount of um, competition and hierarchical kind of policing um, within these airlines. It's, they're incredibly kind of political. So the guys on the ramp hate the guys who do the baggage, hate the, hate the, the cabin crew and the cabin crew. You know, and, and the pilots like to assert themselves as, as the, the top of this hierarchy all the time. Um, and that really slows down, unsurprisingly, um, the coordination of these, these complex tasks. Um, and Southwest um, have been absolutely head and above, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else when it terms, comes to carrying out these tasks because they have a culture which is much more um, collaborative and much more open. And one of the things they, they are very clear about is that when tensions do arise within the organization, and, and, and that's inevitable, then you have it out. Um, you, you, you know, and you have, they actually call them come to Jesus meetings, um, where the, the, the two sides in, in a, in a, nascent dispute are brought together and and you just absolutely bear your soul and you say this is why I, I i'm getting upset about this is what i think is going wrong and i don't think you guys are uh are, are doing well or don't think you're you know helping here and um and that that tends to that tends to resolve it what's what goes what happens when you don't have these kind of open disagreements and these kind of almost you know fairly kind of confrontational disagreements is that the the conflict doesn't go away of course it just becomes submerged into office politics and passive aggression and and that is what ultimately is very corrosive to the relationships in your organization and indeed in the home you know it's the same it's the same principle if if couples aren't having their arguments out in the open then their their feelings about each other just becomes kind of submerged into into passive aggression passive aggression and bitterness and and resentment 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that can end the relationship. There's another another lovely example that you have in the book, which is close to my heart, simply because I like I love Wikipedia, and we're also with Palia building something very similar. But a, a study was done on Wikipedia, which is a very fractious community of tens of thousands of um, highly opinionated, quite precise people trying to build out this giant encyclopedia of the internet. And a study was done, I think, in which you showed which you showed that the more polarized the teams were on any given subject, let's take Israel, Palestine, um, goodness knows, universal basic income, etc. But the more polarized the teams were that were building that page, the better the quality of the page. So here you're sort of flagging two key pieces, which you which you bring up later in the book as well, which is that things work well. The outcome is better when. There's lots of disagreement, but it is managed in a way which is sort of shoulder to shoulder, forward looking in the all in the service of a common project. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, you know, when, when there's when there's a, a, a clear collective goal, um, then y- you can actually really turn up the, the conflict, and and it, and it and it stays. You know, it's it's really productive. Um, so you could have a lot of disagreement about something as long as you're all agreeing on on basically why we're here. Um, so so the Wikipedia example is, you know, it's it's an unusual example. And you, it's not it's not going to reproduce simply to all sorts of organisations, but it, it, as a model, it, it, it is interesting. You know, there there they have a very clear goal, which is, can we make this page as good as possible? When when you have kind of teams of editors who are effectively very aligned with a particular side, you know, particular ideology, and they really kind of argue over every point. But they're arguing over every point with the view to ultimately making this thing work as a, as a good page and getting a good score because Wikipedia rates all its pages in terms of quality. Then actually you get really, really good pages because every point has been gone over and argued each way and, and the other. Um, and and the arguments have been honed. All the kind of un- assumptions that everyone's making have been kind of unearthed and, and examined and, and held up to the light. And the 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 position that they get to at the end of the argument is much more stronger and balanced than if either one of them had 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 done the page by, by themselves. They're essentially repeating um, on a volunteer basis the process of scientific review, aren't they? In which um, a re- researchers will come up with an idea, test it out, produce a report, and that paper will go out for peer review to be torn to shreds by um, a jury of equally opinionated and equally clever and and, uh, and accredited peers. There's something going on here. I, I feel like we're also talking about the an ideal form of democracy, an ideal form of debate inside parliament, in which everybody is facing in the same direction, all for the greater benefit of either the science or the country, um, and bringing the strength of their opinions, um, the strength of their strongly held, firm, tribal, perhaps incorrect opinions to bear to improve the the, the, the end outcome. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, one of the kind of myths about, about good disagreement, I think, is that we need to kind of, we need to take the emotion out of this and make, uh, you know, the, the 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 problem with 
disagreement and argument is that it just gets too emotional and we stop being rational. Um, and and the, the, the implication, and sometimes it's, you know, explicitly stated like this, is that every disagreement should be like a kind of Oxford seminar where, where we are discussing these matters as if they're kind of abstract um, matters, philosophical disputes that we're having and, and trying to get to the to, to the root of it and is that the kind of ideal model of, of of a political disagreement or any kind of disagreement and no i don't think it is and the the wikipedia example is 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 interesting in that respect it's it's because both those sides cared about their point of view passionately um whilst at the same time recognizing that they were serving a greater goal here that they were able to collectively produce such um strong pages um and yeah so and, and again you know with with couples and in, in in relationships if you are just discussing your differences very calmly and clearly you're not really getting to the truth of what each other thinks and feels and you know and this was this is the key to it this is why the couples that do have quite heated arguments as a matter of, of, of habit, uh, when you're in an emotional and heated argument, you're really kind of seeing the truth about what the other thinks and feels. And to a certain extent, you're understanding your own, what you, what you, the truth about yourself. You know, sometimes it's only in an emotional heated argument that you actually say and think stuff that you hadn't really surfaced before. Right. Um, and, you know, as one of the psychologists who, who studies relationships said to me, conflict is information um in, in in a conflict you get you're getting a glimpse of another's heart as well as their mind um and as i say to a certain extent of of, of your own um and so i think you need that kind of emotional motivation in order to really drag those the, those kind of extra ounces of of insight out of each other and that's what and that's part of the what what makes the disagreement a powerfully uh, truthful or insightful one. So here's for me, one of the other key, key insights, beautiful insights of your book and deeply comforting insights too, which is that the worst parts of our thinking and our behavior, our tribalism, our cognitive biases, our, um, our, the speed with which we rouse ourselves to anger and rage and outrage and everything else, all those bits of our cognitive, uh, all, all our cognitive tools, some of the worst of them, when marshaled with the same goal in mind, whether it's keeping a relationship on track or finding the right approach to X policy or Y policy or fixing the Wikipedia page. So one, when the goal is shared and two, when the rules of engagement have been agreed prior, all those cognitive flaws come into their own. This is really something that I um, I learned from the the uh, evolutionary psychologists Dan Sperber and, and Hugo Mercier. They've written up a great book called The Enigma of Reason, which I, I recommend. Um, and they kind of they start with this question, which is if if the capacity to if the human capacity to reason is so important to the in inverted commas success of our species you know our, our kind of 
dominance on 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 the planet and so important to to being human then how come it's so badly flawed um how can we have these like biases in our reason the foremost among them confirmation bias right which is the tendency to only look for evidence for things that i already believe in rather than looking for evidence that might disconfirm what i believe in um that that would seem to be that's a pretty huge problem for a rational species so they identify this interesting uh, question and their answer for it is that we've been looking at reasoning the wrong way around we've been, we we we've been thinking of it as this kind of quality of the individual mind that enables us that enables the individual in in magnificent isolation to to reason their way to to profound truths and but actually reasoning is a group function reasoning is is basically a social skill and it evolved uh in order to help us make arguments um and that it's in the exchange of reasons and arguments that 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 enables humans to cooperate um uh, you know in, in order to achieve things and and it's really our, our capacity for co- collaboration and cooperation is what really sets us apart you know we're not particularly strong um we're quite weak we were pretty weak compared to the neanderthals um but we but we are very good at, at cooperating with each other and 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 have it, being able to uh to have this kind of ability to to uh work out what the best thing to do is by through the exchange of arguments is enormously beneficial and so what what this is really interesting the point at which this becomes you know really fascinating is the point at which they say well under that condition confirmation bias is suddenly not a a flaw it's not a bug it's a feature because in a in a group of people where or everybody's trying to make the best case for 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 what they believe in and everybody's trying to knock down the other arguments a process of kind of darwinian selection takes place where the weakest arguments get knocked out quickly and only the strongest arguments survive right so and this is obviously you know <laughs> doesn't always happen like this we we know that the group debates can go very very wrong but when it's functioning well that's that's what happens and that's why you need confirmation bias because confirmation bias is 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 a kind of your motivation for putting forward your point of view um adds to the diversity of points of view that are that, that are in the group you know so if the group gets around and everybody just kind of quickly backs down from their point of view and says okay yeah maybe you're right then you actually don't actually get any debate so you need people to kind of stick to their point of view strongly maybe even a little a bit irrationally you know and so this is the kind of paradox that in order for a group to make good rational decisions at least some of the members should be acting a little bit irrationally <laughs> i love this um ian can i repeat this back to you just to make sure that i've got it hugo mercier and dan sperber articulate a view of rationality of reason which is not what so their their argument would be reason is not did not evolve in the service of truth. Reason evolved in the service of arguing. 
arguing is the key and important thing that we do with reason. It's not we're not trying to get to the truth as individuals because our greatest um, capacity is in collaboration. Therefore, what we evolved was a tool, reason, which helps us collectively get to the truth faster, not individually get to the truth faster. It's sort of rationality in the service of the truth of the superorganism, but in the service of purely the argumentative, stubborn, <laughs> big-headed argumentative skills of the individual. Yeah, is that well, right? you, yeah. exactly. And you, you've put it much more clearly than, than I just did. Um, but yeah, and so it, it obviously, it makes you think differently about the whole thing. Um, and you realize that actually, it, it's good not to back down from your point of view too quickly. Um, it's it's good to kind of stick up for, for your opinion quite strongly, to be quite quite passionate about it. Partly because that motivates you, as I was saying, to to think of more and better reasons to remember some key information or or, or to come up with a, a fresh argument. So you're just a kind of you're generating more and better arguments when you are emotionally motivated to do so. So so having some emotional investment in this is good, right? In, it, and and when everybody's doing that in the group, you get a much greater diversity of thought. Um, and then you have this kind of selection effect too. And it's just good to bear in mind when you're in an argument, it actually doesn't matter if you are right or not. What It matters is if we are right. Um, it matters if collectively we, we make some progress in, in, this, in this debate. And, and the way to do that is to, is to basically, you know, have two ideas in your head at the same time, which is I'm, I'm going to push this as far as I can go, but I've also got to realise that ultimately it doesn't matter if, if, if I'm right or not. What matters is that we're making progress together. That's beautifully described. Um, I want to touch on something that emerges over and again in, in your book, which is the importance of trust. And I'm going to um, kick it off by asking you to explain Eli Paris's lovely discovery about where the best political discussions take place online. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was really um, uh, an aside, but I thought it was a really suggestive one where he was discussing American political... This is the guy who kind of came up with the filter bubble idea. Um, um, and he was discussing American political polarisation um, and how and how kind of toxic it's got and so on. And he said, you know, what I've noticed is that uh, 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 some of the best political debates across red and blue lines um, happen on the forums of sporting websites. Um, and it's because they have they know they have something in common. Um, it's that they, they also they're all into the same sport or, or they all support this this particular team. Um, and when you have, you know, some kind of bond that isn't to do with the thing that you are debating, that actually enables you to get into into the, the disagreement. The problem with disagreements often is that they just become the disagreement itself. They, they become all about the disagreement itself. And the whole relationship becomes focused on, on, on the disagreement. And disagreements are much more likely to go better when there is some wider relational context for 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 the the dis disagreement we know that our relationship is not 100% staked on this thing that we are 
arguing about. And that just enables us to be a little bit looser uh, and, and, and more flexible in, 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 in the way we argue. Um, the second half of your book gives an overview of the 10 key rules for productive disagreement, uh, which we'll flag in the show notes. But can I ask you, Ian, to tell us the story of um, Nelson Mandela's meeting with the general who founded the Africana Corps, because it talks to so many of these kind of key rules of productive disagreement and also talks to Mandela's genius. Yeah, so this took place in, I think, 1993. Um, and it was two or three years after Mandela, three years after Mandela had been released from prison. Uh, from prison, and um, and he was effectively he was the the leader in waiting of of South Africa, um, in a power sharing agreement with with the 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 white government, but preparing for democratic elections at which he, uh, as head of the ANC, was bound to become president. So, um, you know that that was that was the the direction in in which they were headed. And he faced this re armed rebellion, um, or certainly the, the very clear and present danger of an armed rebellion from um, some diehard white South Africans. Um, and the, the were, there was this huge rally near Johannesburg of about 15,000 men waving Nazi flags and, and toting guns. There were some rabble-rousing speakers and at the climax of this constant field tune um and he was acclaimed as as the leader that that would that, that would take them to to a separatist white state so when Man, when when mandela saw this he was somewhat uh, alarmed and there were reports at the time that the field tune might be able to organize a kind of 100,000 strong militia so he decides on this different course rather than trying to uh, erase the threat of a field gym he invites him to tea and the the kind of <laughs> the, the pivotal moment of this story is really kind of very small one but field field June gets the message mandela wants to see him He's somewhat surprised that Mandela says, "Don't oh, we're not going to meet at my, an official residence. We're, we're going to meet at my house." Fieldjun turns up with two or three other retired generals, and they knock on the door and wait for the staff to open the door. And it's Mandela that opens the door, and Mandela's there with a big smile on his face, and he says, "Welcome. Very good to meet you. Come in." And and so he invites Fieldjun into his living room. He says, do you take tea? Field June says, yes. Mandela pours him a cup of tea. Um, and he says, do you take milk? Field June says, yes, take milk. Mandela serves him milk. Says, do you take sugar? Yes, I take sugar. And Mandela adds some sugar. Shortly after this meeting, he just, he disarmed. I mean, he ordered the disarmament of his militia without a shot being fired, right? He became part of the democratic process, to cut a, a long story short. And he indeed became a devoted admirer of Mandela. This is a complete 180 degree turn from, from, from where he was. And 
when he talked about why you know he turned around so dramatically and decisively um, years later he recalled this this moment of mandela serving him tea as you know the moment when something kind of shifted in his mind um i just think it's it's a it's a fascinating example uh, in lots of ways but 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 one of the 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 interesting things about it is that um in any tense conversation we we're always got we we're all thinking about what what face am i projecting here you know um so so putting on a good face is something you know something we use in everyday conversation it's also got a it's used in in sociology as you know the the public projection um of personality that 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 I'm trying to accomplish um and that you know they talk about the amount of uh cognitive and emotional labor that you're putting into that projection even as you are uh, engaged in 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 a conversation and they call that face work and uh the the really kind of skilled socially skilled um uh, disagreeer if you like um will work hard at putting in face work not so much on his own behalf but on the behalf of the other so recognizing that the other person might feel might be feeling insecure and and trying to make them feel good about their own status in the conversation is a way of getting them to engage with you and what mandela intuited was that field june and really by extension his whole his whole tribe if you like was an immensely proud man who felt threatened uh and and who 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 felt that he risked humiliation mandela understood that because mandela is basically a kind of genius of of social psychology and so he knew that in order to get field june to really engage with him at all he would have to kind of put in face work on his behalf and and show him that he was he, he, that they were on the same level that mandela wasn't going to try and humiliate him or crush him or push him about and and even though it seems like a sort of a, a slight or a silly thing the serving of the tea he was showing him that he was effectively willing to yeah to 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 put him to be beneath him in in a way you know even though he 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 wasn't in terms of power mandela was a super, you know had more power at that moment clearly but he was also saying as a human being i will i will stand here and i will serve you too because we're going to have a conversation as as equals and i respect you for who you are even though we disagree on so much you end your book with a beautiful image which is to think of um argument conflict as an infinite game i'd like if that's okay to ask you to explain this idea to us because i think it has an enormous bearing on not just the conflicts that we have inside our personal relationships um the conflicts that we have um across social media but actually what the fundamental business of conflict inside democracies inside liberal democracies is really all about yeah so th- there's a book by i think he's called james cast who's an american academic and it's a short and and um quite sort of philosophical and in a way quite poetic book uh, about two different types of game um 
in, in game, kind of used in, in, in the broadest sense. So he says, look, there are finite games in which there is a winner and a loser. Um, there's a kind of set amount of time. Um, so, so, so a football match is a finite game, right? It's 90 minutes long and it ends after 90 minutes or 90 something minutes, um, no matter what happens. And this is penalties, but let's not get into that. Um, and then the game's over at that point and you can win or lose or you, you, you can draw. But but basically, that's it. Right. That's 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 the end of the game. That's a finite game. The other thing about a finite game is that everybody plays it according to a set of rules. Right. There's an agreed set of rules about what you're allowed to do and not not do. Whether that's the, the offside rule or, or whatever. In a an infinite game, you, you're basically trying to find reasons to keep the game going. So if, if a game of football is a finite game, um, football itself is an infinite game where the whole point is, is to kind of find reasons to keep the game going. Um, but, um, you know, even in that case, actually, the two sides, whatever you think of them, seem to all agree that they are trying to keep the game going in some way, even if they have very different views about how, how to how to go about it. Um, and it's just an enormously useful model for thinking about all sorts of things, including um, argument and, and, and democracy. Um, you know, the aim of democracy is not to win or lose. Um, so it, the, the kind of analogy here is a, a, an election, right? An election is a finite game where you, the aim is to win or lose. And, and there's a cutoff point where you kind of you, you, you can say, well, somebody won or somebody lost or somebody you know, got this amount of seats and somebody didn't. But the aim of democracy is more democracy. You know, the, 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 in, a, in an infinite game, you're always trying to extend the game as long as possible, even if that means changing the rules from time to time in order to keep it going. You know, so democracy has to evolve. The institution of, of football and how it's played has to evolve in some ways to, because the world is changing and you have to evolve to, to, to keep up with it. Um. And um, it, I just found it a useful way to think about argument and, and disagreement. You know, your, your, aim, your ultimate aim in a disagreement really should always be not to win or lose, but, but to extend, to open up the possibility of further disagreement. <laughs> I just think this infinite game idea is, 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 is a really good one to, to bear in mind in all sorts of ways. You know, the, the point of an argument in a relationship is 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 so that it's to open up the possibility of more arguments in our relationship down the line you know it's to keep each other engaged in this ongoing developing evolving organism uh, of our relationship what a beautiful way to end Ian. i'm tremendously grateful for the chance to talk these ideas through with you it's been really instructive um and quite optimistic um so here's to many more arguments all my thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. That was On Opinion, the Palia podcast. Check out our show notes if you'd like to dig deeper into this episode's theme and join me at palia.com to explore all the world's opinions. To stay up to date with new episodes or get further insights from our guests, Subscribe to On Opinion, the Palia podcast, wherever you listen. And follow us on social media at 
Ask Palia. All our links are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us and leave us a review. Thank you for listening.